are listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul, episode 42. Welcome to the show. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to From Sobriety to Recovery. I am your host, Jesse Mogul, and I am in addiction recovery. Well, we are going to finish up 2019 strong, by goodness gracious, <laughs> if it takes every ounce of energy we have left in our bodies. If you are listening to these linearly, which I certainly hope that you are, but if you're not and you're finding me in the archives, we are sitting pretty at mid-December 2019. And as we wrap up the year, if you have been listening to these for the last, I think, four or five weeks, then you know I'm going through my life's blueprint, which is the system I developed at the beginning stages of my addiction recovery in order for me to organize my life and be able to systematically work on certain areas of it and be um, able to noticeably see where I needed to put work into and then focus my attention to that so that I could see changes and growth in that area um, as efficiently as possible. I know that sounds all big, wordy, dirty, and all that, but it's as simple as this. When I first got sober, I was having a hard time understanding why I felt good about certain areas of my life and not so good about other areas of my life. Um, you know, whether it be my career, myself, or my relationships, I would notice that, you know, with myself physically, I would be hitting the gym and feeling great, but maybe with myself emotionally, I was feeling blocked, unable to be vulnerable at my meetings, unable to communicate with uh, my loved ones about the difficulties of, that I was going through in my sobriety and recovery. And so uh, me and uh, one of my um, old roommates, good friend, we were figuring out ways uh, in the personal growth and self-development world to be able to help other people specifically target certain areas that they needed to focus on rather than just saying, well, I just don't feel good about myself, but I don't know why. Or I just don't feel good about my career, but I don't know why. I just I don't feel good about my relationships. I just can't figure out what I'm not happy about. We said, okay, well, if those are your three spheres, if every single thing in your life can be broken down to career self or relationship, then how is it that you can focus on a certain area? And um, long held information that we did not come up with dictated that everything can come down to physical, emotional, and mental. And we added spiritual in because um, spirit in this regard has a lot to do with morals, ethics, values, integrity, and less to do with religion. But if you're involved with AA or refuge recovery, then you certainly know that there are um, religious connotations to it, whether you believe in God or have your own word for it, dog or, or Buddha or whatever it might be. That's, that's fine. All things are welcome here. This is That's not the center of what we're talking about. What we are talking about is if you have three spheres in their career self-relationship and everything in your life can be whittled down, can fit into one of those three spheres, by breaking each sphere down to its four components of physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual, it allows you to specifically see where in your career you're not happy, where within yourself you're not happy, where within your relationships you think you need to work harder and put focus on, right? So if physically I'm going to the gym and I'm eating healthy, then my physical 
uh, quadrant is locked in. And if uh, I'm not feeling great emotionally because I'm not opening up at my meetings, I'm not opening up with those I love about the difficulties of my addiction recovery or even the good things that I'm going through in my addiction recovery, then I would say, okay, then within myself, the uh, emotional quadrant needs work. So you have three spheres, career, self-relationship, and you have four components of each, physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, and that makes up 12 quadrants, 12 rooms in this um, in this analogy, I picture my entire life as a gigantic mansion, um, and I, I used to have a friend where, that I would explain it to it like explain it to her like this. You know, some of the rooms in my house are ready to rock and roll. They're they're completely uh, refurbished and they're great. Other ones are under construction and are constantly under construction. So some rooms, you know, my uh, self and my emotions, um, I have a hard time opening up and feeling emotions. That room is still. That quadrant is constantly under renovation, whereas myself and physical, I'm generally in good condition. I eat right. I go to the gym frequently, right? So that's just a quick summary. If you want to know more about that and want to hear me really dive into it deeply, go back to episode 36, and I talk about my life's blueprint, and um, it's, it's a really great way for you to get a deeper understanding of that. Every episode, I'm giving a quick little review of that because for those of you who've been listening, I really, really, really um, highly stress that I believe that my system is pretty rock star. Obviously, I wouldn't be following it on a day-to-day basis if I didn't. And if you're looking for a way to organize your life, three spheres, career, self-relationship, the four components of each, physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, making up 12 quadrants, I think is very efficient. And I'd highly recommend that you at least try it and then you start to play around with it as you see fit once you have developed it. And that's what these episodes are about, developing each one of your 12 quadrants. And so today, we're going to discuss yourself and mental. And so this will complete the sphere of self Um, mainly because as we're finishing up a year and finishing up a decade and starting a new year and starting a new decade, I really think putting some attention on yourself is going to be integral to developing the other two spheres um, proportionately. I really do believe that when yourself is locked in and when you really feel grounded and present and 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 you're aware of all the decisions that you're making, your career and your relationships will start to go up because of that. So episode 37, we discussed the physical self. Episode 38, we discussed the emotional self. Episode 40, we discussed the spiritual self, integrity, humility, gratitude, things like that. And now here we are at episode 42, discussing the mental self. So that's a quick little review. Uh, Thank you for uh, catching up with me. If you have been listening to all these, you may have just found that repetitive. But again, Um, The act of repetition is what will really cement this into your brain. Studies do show that most people only retain 15 to 10% of information that they hear. So it's important to me that I I repeat things frequently enough that you uh, be able to internalize it and not have to check back on with your notes and things like that. So let's talk about the mental self. And one of the reasons why I chose this over a couple other options for today's episode was because I'm at the gym today and one of the trainers who walks around and and spots people if they ask is his name's Dean. Cool dude. Um, And so we start talking about the, the physical self and how when people go into a gym, they do it 
to strengthen their muscles, to strengthen their body, and, and you know, to to look better naked, to to look to feel better, to to be able to lift more weights, whatever the reason that somebody goes into the gym, it's generally felt of as only a place to physically grow. And I argue or debate, and not with him, but just with anyone, is that the gym is actually a place you go to grow mentally, because when when you start looking at areas of your life where you can go do something and immediately see a change, immediately feel a difference, there's very few areas in your life where you can consistently do that outside of the physical self, right? You can read a book and you can try to internalize it and add it into your life and incorporate the changes, but it won't necessarily always happen quickly and you won't be able to see the changes um, as soon as you would like. Emotionally, yes, you can open up and you can be vulnerable, but if you choose the wrong person to do that in front of, or if the topic's not right, whatever, there's a lot of variables there as well. You may not necessarily see growth as quickly in the emotional area that you want. Um, spirituality, if you start talking about your integrity and your humility and your gratitude, you could you know, be humble in front of 30 people and you may not actually feel like it's making a difference until you've been doing it for weeks. But you go to a gym, and one week you're barely getting a 35-pound dumbbell curled, and the next week you're doing 40, you've seen a noticeable difference. You went up five pounds. So within the physical self, there are, you, know, you can go jog. You, can, you may never have even walked around your block, and the first time you do it, you're exhausted. And then three weeks of doing that you know, for 20 minutes every day, and next, time, next thing you know, you're jogging around the block, whereas you used to only be able to barely walk it. The reason I think that a gym is a, actually a place to grow mentally and not just physically is because a lot of the blocks that we have in our lives are actually coming from our own thoughts, which happen in the mind. And when you talk about your mental perseverance, when you talk about growing yourself in all three of your spheres and in, in all four of the components and all 12 of your quadrants, it's the mental barriers that you're placing on yourself that are causing you the most aggravation. When you go into a gym, and when I was talking to Dean today about this, I was like, look, you know, if you're taking on personal training clients and you think that all you're trying to do is get them over a physical barrier that they've never done a they've never done 10 push-ups in a row and now they've come to you and they said that's their goal is to do 10 push-ups in a row and eventually do 40 what you're trying to do is not just physically push them their body but also get them to mentally break down the limiting beliefs they've placed in their way that tell them that what they're trying to do physically is difficult or impossible or whatever excuse they've given to themselves. Because we all do that in a way. We all have, we all say, boy, I'd really like to learn the guitar, or I'd really like to go to seven meetings this week, or I'd really like to stop craving alcohol, or I'd really like to, to communicate with my loved one better. And when we make these kind of decisions, when we have these kind of thoughts, inevitably, there's some sort of limiting belief in our head that's telling us that what we're thinking is going to be difficult or impossible or hard to achieve or what you know whatever adjective we would want to put there, when in reality, reality, nothing is difficult or impossible to achieve. It can take effort, but the key is taking action 
so that there is effort. Whenever I was talking to Dean about this and I was like, you know, if there's somebody out there who comes to you, you're putting more effort into actually getting them over their mental blocks than you are about pushing them physically. I, b- I believe in this term called old muscle. So if you've ever seen someone who, let's say, was an hi- athlete in high school, went on to be an athlete in college, and now they're in their 30s or 40s, they have what I call old muscle. They've been working out since they were 15, 16 years old uh, in the height of their growth spurt. So when they did that, their, their muscles grew big. They grew faster because their whole body was growing. And now here they are 10, 20 years later, and you see them that you can tell when someone has like really thick, dense muscle. I don't have that. I started working out at 30 because of my alcoholism and, and drugs. I wasn't really able to ever achieve much in my 30s. And it wasn't until I got sober in my 40s that my physical body started to finally take shape. So I don't have old muscle. But you've seen this. When I was discussing this with him today, the whole moral of it was at a young age, when he started trying to push himself physically, the mental barriers that was telling him he couldn't accomplish this, he was breaking through. Because he really didn't know any better. He was, you're young, you start to lift weights, you start to eat healthy, and all of a sudden your muscles start to grow and you quickly realize if you put forth the effort, if you put the energy and the focus into it, you can achieve it. And when you can achieve something with your physical body, and I know you guys have heard this before, if you you can get your body right, you can get everything right. I've I've heard some people say, well, if you can get your mind right, you can get everything right. And both are true. There are those people out there who are hyper-intelligent who were able to figure out things at a young age that most of us you know, weren't able to understand or, or fully contemplate, uh, even internalize until we got well into our 20s and 30s that some people caught on really early. They, too, were able to break through these mental barriers and not allow limiting beliefs to tell them that they couldn't figure something out. I'm a firm believer that if more quote-unquote nerdy people went to the gym, they'd be able to figure it out and actually be able to have tremendous muscle growth rather quickly because of the way that they've already used their mind to accomplish so much. Just as I think that people who are physically strong and who have physically achieved things, even if it's just lifting weights or, or you know played some tennis and golf and done it at a, at a semi to high level, and been able to go off and play it in high school and then college and things like that, they have overcome limiting beliefs where maybe they couldn't serve the ball 100 miles an hour. So they practice, 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 and then finally they could do it. And it was within that doing, it was within that action that they convinced themselves that if they put their focus, if they put practice into it, that they can achieve that goal. Well, their mind quickly figured out that then that means that if they put their practice and their focus and their determination on anything, they can achieve it. When a lot of us had really tremendous suffering as as uh, children or teenage or tweenage or even in our 20s, whatever age you know, that you're suffering really grabbed a hold of you and we turned to addiction, it's because we had these limiting beliefs that were telling us that we're not good enough. We shouldn't be able to achieve this. We can't achieve this. And I would be willing to bet most of that was pre-programmed by someone else into our heads. And then we took it up a notch. See, that's the, the, that's the real bitch in all of this. Whenever you start thinking about yourself and your mental state, um, I'm reading this book now. It's uh, something about fear. Um, it's really, let me, let me, let me jump on audible real fast. Let me, let me pull it up. Let me, let me tell you what the name of it is. 
Um, it is called the the Courage to Confront Evil, and it's by Carolyn Miss M Y S S. And one of my friends turned me on to it because I'm also reading um, the Untethered Soul. And I'm also uh, reading uh, A Return to Love. And so all these books really go well together. So it's this, this amazing you know, juggernaut of information f- coming at me, and I'm loving it. Anyways, um, this woman, Carolyn Miss, talks about in her, her fear book about um, how it's become trendy to blame everything that, that's wrong with us on our parents. And it is true that our parents were 99 I believe that 99% of our society not just here in the United States but all around the world we are raised by emotionally immature humans and therefore we are emotionally immature and we're going to go on and we're going to raise emotionally immature kids and then they'll raise emotionally immature kids unless we ourselves stop the cycle we read the books we do the work inside of ourselves to make sure that we can emotionally mature so that we can start to really grasp the, the idea that our thoughts create feelings, and through these feelings, they drive actions, which create results, right? We are 100% responsible for ourselves, right? We, you, we can't accept responsibility and then also se- blame someone else at the same time. You have to accept responsibility for your actions, for your mindset. You are 100% responsible for yourself. You are not responsible for anybody else's physical, emotional, mental, or spiritual state. Obviously, children, that's a little different, but we're talking about adults. You know, if you're in a, a relationship, your friends, you know, if they're sitting there and they're saying, well, the reason I'm this way is because of you. No, you're choosing that. Just like we're choosing to allow the, our teachings from our parents and grandparents and society and, and whoever, you know, was around you as a child, we're choosing to blame them for who, where we're, we're currently at. We're taking on that victim mentality because it's easier to take on a victim mentality and blame somebody else for our lot in life than to, to than take responsibility for the choices we've made. Even something as heinous as being physically assaulted, right? If you're standing on the street and somebody angry just runs up and just starts beating your ass, fine. You cannot control that. What you can control is the mental state, emotional state that you take on after that. You can either see that as like, wow, that, that person's disturbed and they they shouldn't have done this. But if you go off and you say, well, I got my ass kicked on the street and I wasn't even doing anything wrong. So now I'm less than, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve that. Uh, You know, I'm just going to drink my sorrow away because I'm, I'm a worthless piece of crap. You chose that mentality. Someone else might say, you know what, I'm going to go and take self-defense classes so next time I can protect myself, but I'm not going to be afraid to stand on the street corner. I'm not going to be afraid to talk to strangers. I'm not going to blame that person for my lot in life. And in fact, I've I've decided I'm now going to forgive them, right? You've heard stories of that where somebody's gone and forgiven their the person who murdered somebody in their family or hurt somebody or even them, right? And then you've also heard the people who would never let it go, held it against that person forever, and then ultimately that anger just ate them alive on the inside, right? All of this stuff is inside of our heads. All of these things that we're discussing, this is all mental choices that we make. And when I'm talking to Dean today, the the thought that most of us are allowing these limiting beliefs, these thoughts in our heads to tell us that we can't achieve something, that we can't overcome addiction is bullshit. Pardon my French, but it's complete bullshit. I'm not going to sit here and allow someone else to tell me that 
getting over alcoholism or drugs is impossible. It's really difficult. It's going to require this, 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 and this. And it's, you know, I'm probably never going to be able to overcome it. And I'm always going to be haunted by it. I'm not going to believe that. I'm just not. Because I've seen people who woke up one day and said, you know what, I'm just not going to drink anymore. And then they went off and they, and they read some really awesome books and they went to some meetings and they did the work and they did the steps and they went through the four agreements and they, they worked on themselves and their lives became amazing and awesome and better. And it's not a struggle for them. And I've seen people who've allowed it to be a struggle. You're one or the other. You're, it's either not a struggle or it is a struggle or some days it's one and it's not the other and the next day it's the other and not the one and you're like, you have no idea why. The reason I came up with the spheres and the components and broke this down into quadrants is so you can figure out the why. Why was I feeling good yesterday but I'm not feeling good today? If it's shit you're making up inside your head, if you're telling yourself that you're not worthy, if you're telling yourself that you're worthless, if you're letting other people tell you that and you're believing it, then that's on you. There's there there is a lot of personal responsibility that we have to take on to fully embrace our addiction recovery. We we cannot empower someone else and say I am who I am because of you and then at the same time accept our, the responsibility and say that we have power over ourselves. You cannot give someone else power over you and then simultaneously have power over yourself. Right? It, it doesn't work that way. You have the power over you. Empower empowerment programs are ineffective because somebody says, well, I'm going to go to this seminar and this person's going to tell me this 10-step process to always feel good about myself. Now, if, and then if, what happens to that person? If you don't like those 10 steps, what if you don't like them? You've given them the power and said, if they can't tell me how to be happy, then I'm going to walk out of this place unhappy. But that doesn't work. They could give you the 10 steps and you may not like them and you could do them all and you're still not happy. Or you could do five of them and be happy. It has nothing to do with what they told you. It has everything to do with what you actually did. Your actions speak louder than anybody else's words. Can, can we release the victim mentality that so many people have taken on. Can you release the victim mentality you have over any one of your quadrants and say, no, I am now an adult. I am now going to make these decisions. I am going to choose how I feel. My boss tells me I'm a worthless piece of shit. You know what? Every single day I wake up sober is the best day of my life. If somebody doesn't like me, if somebody doesn't like the way I talk, if somebody doesn't like the way I dress, if somebody doesn't like the way my hair is, that's their problem. It is sure as hell not mine. And so when you have these limiting beliefs that that tell you that you can't achieve something, that you're not worthy, that you're too old to get physically fit and have abs, or that you're, that you're, that you're too locked into your unemotional ways that you can't become emotional. That's limiting beliefs. And that's you choosing that. I work on my emotional vulnerability every single day. There's some days I don't want to prioritize it. There's some days where I'd rather focus on my mental acuity. There's some days I'd rather focus on my physical prowess. There's some days I would just rather not focus on my emotion at, at all. 
I, I'm, it's just like, no, no, I, I'm not in the mood. I, I have figured out a way to compartmentalize my emotions. I'm not saying it's healthy. I'm not saying it's unhealthy. It's just something that I learned to do throughout my you know decades and decades of suffering. The one thing that we all have in common is in every human, addiction recovery or not, is that we all have something that we're suffering over. And it's our willingness in addiction recovery to step into ourselves and figure out what is making us suffer, and then to figure out ways to release that suffering, to overcome the barriers that we placed upon ourselves. That's what really gets us into the integrity of addiction recovery. See, there's a huge difference between sobriety and recovery. It's why the show is called From Sobriety to Recovery. Sobriety is just abstaining from using. Sobriety is counting down the days and saying, mm, I got another day in. Mm, I got another 10 minutes in. Mm, I, I, I am not using today. I win. Recovery is actually going into yourself, figuring out what it was that caused the suffering. Where is that trauma located? Releasing, blaming others, and taking on the responsibility of the choices you made. Because there are plenty of people who have had similar traumas to all of us who did not choose addiction addiction and did not need to get into addiction recovery. Now, they might be addicted to their phone or addicted to self-loathing or addicted to television. I don't know. I believe, I'm a firm believer that every human is addicted to something. We are an addictive species. All animals form habits. All animals. It's the, why the salmon swims up river to spawn in the place that it was born. It's why the bear knows to stand where the fish are jumping up the river so that it can catch them. We form habits because it's worked for us. At some point, our addiction didn't work for us anymore. It was once a medicine and it became the poison. But even when bad things happen, we have the ability to choose how we respond. Thus, that's giving us the power over the event, over the circumstance. You get a flat tire on the side of the road, and yes, it's, it's not what you wanted to have happen. You don't want to have to fix your tire. You're, it's a dangerous situation. But how do you choose to respond? Do you call AAA? Do you go get the spare out? Do you scream at the person next to you? Do you yell into the phone? Do you blame the, the flat tire for why you're, you weren't on, to the meeting on time? How do you choose to respond? Because that's where the mental acuity of handling your own stuff really becomes empowering when you take on the responsibility for your response. That that, that sounds that seems like my therapist would say remove seventeen of those words and try again. How you respond to any situation is a choice you make. When you take the responsibility for that choice, you are stepping into yourself and becoming one with who you are. It's so much easier to blame someone else. But when you become one with yourself and say, I'm choosing how to respond, I'm choosing how to react, I'm choosing everything about my response to what is happening in front of me. Somebody brings up a politician that you don't like. Do you immediately just start freaking out on them? Or do you realize that everybody has their own background? Everybody has their own reasons for thinking the way they do. And if, even if it's not rational to you, something in their life created that idea. Our memories are a collection of our beliefs and our values. And so our beliefs and values are formed by memories, and memories are happening all around us at all times. 
two twins raised in the same house, same parents, you know, wore the same clothes, experienced the same things, can have totally different ways at looking at the world because two of them could have been sitting in a park and one was looking to the left and saw a baby bird fall out of a tree and saw how the mama bird flew down and fed it a worm and encouraged it. And then next thing you know, the baby bird was flying away and all was good in the world, right? And then the other twin is looking to the right. A baby bird falls out of a tree and a dog runs over and attacks the baby bird and the baby bird dies, right? And so the one looking to the left saw the mama bird come down, feed the baby bird a worm, encourage it. And before you know it, the baby bird was flying away. The kid to the right is seeing a bird get attacked by a dog. One thinks, wow, even when I fall down, there'll be somebody there to encourage me, feed me a worm. I'm getting an analogy. The kid doesn't really want to eat a worm, but if somebody's going to feed me a worm, they're going to encourage me. I'm going to fly away. Kid looking to the right, seeing the dog attack the bird says, man, if you find yourself in a vulnerable situation, you can be attacked and no one's going to come help you. And they were literally sitting in the same park. You think that they're experiencing the same thing, but they're not. I know it's a weird story, but it came to me the other day. because I'm just like, this is how you can go on a trip with someone and you're both walking down Bourbon Street, you know, looking at all the craziness going on. I I only come up with Bourbon Street because the Saints just beat the Colts, Um, right? But you're going there and you're like, wow, look at all the fun happening. One person sees fun because everyone's laughing and enjoying themselves. uh, Your friend that's with you sees sadness because they're watching everybody drink themselves into oblivion because they're unhappy and they, they, they believe it's because they're unhappy with their lives. Whereas the, you know, you're walking down the street and you're seeing everybody laugh and have a good time and you think, wow, everyone's, everyone's enjoying themselves because of the camaraderie and the relationships that they're forming. The person to next to you is looking around and, and sees it as a sad moment because everyone's getting intoxicated in order to have fun. You're seeing the same stuff, but you're perceiving it differently. Life is all about perception. So when I'm talking to Dean and I tell him that the most important thing he has to get his clients to understand is that with hard work and determination that they can achieve whatever it is they want to achieve in the gym, that's his biggest obstacle. That's his toughest challenge. Not getting the person to lift a 10-pound dumbbell until they can lift a 15-pound dumbbell. If they come consistently enough, if they work on it consistently enough, eventually they're going to be able to go from a 10-pound dumbbell to a 15-pound dumbbell. That's just the law of determination and hard work. If you do something long enough, eventually you're going to be better at it than you were when you first started. Even if you pick up a guitar and only practice for 20 minutes, and in that 20 minutes you figure out a way to touch a couple strings in a certain way that makes a cool melody, and you just repeat that over and over again, sure, you can't go start a band, but you're sure as hell better than you were 20 minutes ago when you didn't even know that those two strings made that sound. Your life and the way you mentally approach it is unfathomably important to your addiction recovery. And if you're sitting there and you're on your couch, in your underwear, eating donuts, watching The Simpsons, and nothing about and you feel like nothing about your life has changed since you got sober, that's on you. That is on you. 
Because someone else who decided to get sober and step into addiction recovery stopped sitting on the couch, stopped eating the donuts, stopped watching The Simpsons, and they're actually doing things out there that they like. They're actually going off and finding hobbies that addiction took away from them. They're actually taking responsibility for their choices and not going up to their friends and their family members and their parents and their siblings and saying, well, if you hadn't picked on me as a kid, I wouldn't have had low self-esteem, so I wouldn't have gotten fat in high school. I wouldn't have gotten picked on by all those people. I wouldn't have gone to college and started drinking in order to make friends because I would have had higher self-esteem. And then I wouldn't have been an addict at 35 years old, you know, doing dope and sleeping on your couch. So it's all your fault because you picked on me whenever I was seven years old. That is (laughs) completely asinine. You cannot do that and expect your sobriety and addiction recovery journey to be a healthy one. You cannot expect yourself to get better if you consistently are blaming other people for where you're at in your life. I know this because I did it for years. For years, I said, well, if my parents hadn't moved me away from Oklahoma City when I was four and I'd have been able to stay by my family members, I would have been able to make uh, friends and and, and stronger bonds in my relationships with my family members because I would have been raised near my cousin Angel, whom I love dearly, but I and we were best friends, but we moved away at four and then we started moving all the time. And now I don't know how to make strong relationships because all we did was move every six months to a year. And so it's because of them, I can't make strong relationships. Well, that was when I was four. I can't still be blaming that at 43. Because I'm making the decisions now to make strong relationships or not. And if I want to keep blaming an event that happened to me when I was four, and we did move every single year for like a decade, maybe I want to blame my mom for getting Crohn's when I was eight years old. And so we're making, you know, my stepdad work so much because he couldn't stand being home with a sick wife. So I had to become the man of the house and I had to help her clean up her broken ostomy bags. And I had to help clean the house and I had to mow the lawn and I had to do all these things. I didn't get to have a normal childhood because I was helping my mom clean up, you know, her ostomy bag. And I was, I was doing all these things, you know, emotionally, I was trying to deal with so much that an eight-year-old wasn't even wasn't even capable of understanding. So I am emotionally immature and wounded because my mom got a disease when I was eight years old. So that's what I'm going to blame for the rest of my life. No. No. It was, the, it was blaming my mom for moving us at four, blaming my mom for the disease at eight years old, blaming my mom because they smoked cigarettes in the house and all my clothes smelled like cigarettes. So when I was in sixth grade, everyone called me the Marlboro, the Marlboro boy called me. You're the Marble man's son. I was the Marlboro boy because I stunk of cigarettes. And that's why I wasn't, that's why I didn't have friends. And that's why I was ostracized. And that, that's why, you know, I became a, a nerd and a loner and started studying so much because I didn't have friends anyway. So I might as well just learn. Right now that's a, a great side benefit of being ostracized by so many people. But at the same time, I can't keep blaming that. That was something that happened. It was a long time ago. I cannot still be blaming my inability to have deep, meaningful relationships on crap that happened to me when I was younger. Oh, because you guys decided to get divorced the summer before I went to college. That's why I started taking LSD. and That's why I started doing cocaine. And that's why I started drinking a ton. So it's your fault 
that all this happened. Because if you hadn't have gotten divorced, you'd have been nearer to my college. You'd have come down there. You'd have seen what I was doing, and you would have busted my ass in shape, or you'd have pulled me out. I wouldn't have become an addict, and I would have gone on, and I'd have been an amazing sports broadcaster. So it's your fault for getting a divorce that I'm a, I'm a drunk moron at 40 years old. I mean, do you do you do this for yourself? Start going back and looking at the the big life traumas that you have been blaming for so long and see where your your mentality is putting a limiting belief on who you became based on somebody else's actions. Because somewhere else out there, somebody moved away from their family at four years old. Their mom got sick at eight years old. They got picked on at 12 years old and their parents got divorced when they were 17 years old. And they went on and they became a doctor or a lawyer or, you know, they, they, or they just became somebody who was always helping society and was just a really great person in society. And they didn't suffer from addiction. And they, you know, I'm taking back the doctor lawyer thing. I don't care what your career is. You're an amazing human being and your, your job has very little to do with whether you're a great human being or not. So it doesn't matter what profession you chose. It matters what you chose to do with your life. And if you're out there being of service and being loving and being open and vulnerable and being that friend that others can come to you with when they have problems and being uh, having the friends where you can go to them whenever you need support, right? Somebody else had the same issues as I did as a child, and yet they chose a completely different path. I chose to allow myself to implant all these limiting beliefs, whether I saw them in my parents or my siblings or, or my teachers or my, my students, whatever it was, you know, whatever it was, I allowed these limiting beliefs to get inside my head, to continue my suffering past the moment from, of which that event happened. And here I am now at 43 years old, you know, clicking along awesomely in my sobriety. I just hit 35 months last Friday. Three years is right around the corner. It's been super duper awesome. I'm not going to lie. I'm loving every single day of my life as a sober person, but I'm still working through all these limiting beliefs that I have placed upon myself that I have chosen to accept as my own for all these years. And so when I think about mental, the, your, your mental state as a, within yourself, as we're moving into a new year, as we're moving into a new decade, the mental blocks you have in your head are there because you're reinforcing them. Every single time you think, I would love to do that, but I can't because I never have. I want to do that, but I've never done it before. I want to do that, but I don't have experience and, I don't, and I'm afraid that I'm going to fail in front of others, so I just won't do it. In that, this fear book, Conquering Fear, that I'm listening to, and even Return to Love, um, these, these books, I, they, they talk a lot about fear. Fear and Shame have been a couple books I've really gotten into recently. They're, those aren't the titles, just the topics of fear and shame. Whether it be Daring Greatly by Bre- Brene Brown, and there's a couple other books that me and my friend Christy have been listening to on Audible. Then I'm going to leave on this because this, this episode has already gotten a little longer than I thought it was. But I, I, I definitely, this is, God, there's something about our mental states that I truly believe that if you can break through the, you know, the limiting beliefs, the, limit, the limitations you've placed upon yourself, it will open up a super highway of, of energy that you can utilize to accomplish the things that you want to in life. Today I'm listening to a webinar with my life coach and she's talking about how 
you know, do you accomplish something when you feel that you can accomplish it? Or do you feel like you can accomplish something and therefore you accomplish it? You know, do if, do, if I work out a ton and have abs, is that going to make me feel better? Or am I just going to automatically say I feel better because I know I'm working towards those abs? That's one of the most important reasons I go to the gym Monday, Wednesday, Friday from one to three is by going there and pushing myself hard, hard, hard. Today, I did a personal best, you know, 205 on the decline six times. I mean, I've been dying to break 200 for a ton of time. And finally, I was just like, boom, let's do it. I I don't have the chiseled pecs that I'd love to have. I'm not going to look like a magazine model. But what I do know is that by going into the gym, it is reinforcing the thoughts I have that say, I feel better because I know I am pushing myself physically to achieve things that I have never achieved before. And more importantly, didn't think I could achieve at 43. And so by feeling good about pushing myself, it, it creates or, can, or maintains the motivation that gets me to go to the gym three, to, three days a week. I'm, here soon, I'm going to push it up to five just because I've got some ideas for uh, of, of rehabilitating my right knee, which I messed up last year. My point is, is that, you know, it's, it's, it's the idea of which comes first, the motivation or the action. Some people say, well, I'll start working on that when I feel motivated. I say, when you start working on it, that's what spurs the motivation. It's the action of getting up and, oh, you know, I'll clean my house as soon as I feel like it. Well, you're never going to feel like it, or you're sure as hell, it's just not going to feel like it. Like You you, want to clean the house now, but you're going to wait till you feel like it. So that might mean you don't clean the house for four more days until like the raccoons are eating things out of your garbage inside your house. <laughs> so in order for me to get motivated to clean, I just start cleaning and I wipe down one area of the cabinet and now it looks way cleaner than it did. And now all of a sudden I'm like, oh boy, let's get to this cabinet. And before I know it, I'm cleaning inside the refrigerator and I'm cleaning on the stovetop and now I'm vacuuming and I'm mopping and now I'm in the bathroom and I'm cleaning the grout and I'm doing all this cool stuff, right? Because I just started. Like with anything, I believe action is what starts the motivation. Just like I, I think that feeling the positive emotion, feeling positive is what brings about the motivation to work towards what it is you've always desired, which is what you think will make you feel better. If you think making $100,000 a year is going to all of a sudden make you feel like a successful person, then the idea is you start feeling like a successful person now, and then you'll be motivated when you go to work to push yourself to make that $100,000. Because if you don't feel good about yourself, if you don't feel that you already are successful, then when you go into work, you're going to feel like the same old person who's never made $100,000. And therefore, you're going to go in, you're going to feel, you know, you're, somebody's going to say no while you're trying to sell them something. And you're like, oh, it's it. I'm a loser. Nobody loves me. I can't achieve $100,000. Oh, screw it. Right? That's the mentality that got us into addiction. Oh, I can't achieve this. So screw it. I might as well just go get high. Right, and then eventually getting high once in a while turned into getting high all the time, and then it became a problem. So I'm going to rock you out on this one: is that as you close up your year, as you close up your decade, look back, sit down, write down the things that you are in, internally blaming 
others for your actions. Go be like, oh, because you know, because my dad spanked me a lot whenever I was young. I felt inferior and insecure, and as soon as I got away from him, I started drinking because then I could make friends, and I felt less insecure and inferior, and therefore I'm an addict because my dad spanked me. Because other people got spanked, and they didn't, they didn't decide to take on that mentality. Whatever it is that the trauma is, go and and think about how can you accept responsibility for the actions that came from the feelings you had, which were thoughts. See, we've talked about this so much, but it's like if you got spanked and therefore you, it made you feel sad and unloved. And so the actions were to, um, you know, strike out, uh, up and, and, and strike out of the house and go and say, well, I'll show you, and now I'm going to go drink and, you know, fuck you. I'm in control here. And next thing you know, you're an addict. Go back and think, okay, well, th- why was that the action I took? What was the thought I had, right? You get spanked and the thought is, but dad doesn't, dad doesn't love me. And the feeling is that I'm a piece of crap. And so the action is I'm going to go somewhere where people think I'm not a piece of crap. The results are that you end up hanging out with a bunch of addicts because the easiest social circle to join is the addiction one. And next thing you know, you've got friends who support you and like you because you're always showing up with alcohol and drugs and you've got money to get alcohol and drugs. And so now you're the party person. And that brings about a thought that, wow, I'm popular and cool, which makes you feel good, which means in order to continue feeling good, you have to continue supplying alcohol and drugs. And before you know it, you're a 43-year-old in addiction recovery for three years. Your limiting beliefs have brought you to this point. We are in this conversation because of the limitations you've allowed yourself to accept about yourself. The voices in your head that aren't you telling you that you are not worthy are full of it. They aren't you. They aren't you. They, they could be your parents, your teacher, your preacher, the television, the media, your best friend, your sibling. I don't know who it is, but it is not you. Blaming our parents for all of the bad things that are going on in our lives when inside of our heads we're treating ourselves a hundred time, times worse than they ever did. Your parents might have told you you're a piece of crap and you'll never amount to nothing. But start listening to the things you say to yourself. Start listening, start go. And if you're being nicer to yourself now, go back and think about the mean stuff you used to say to yourself that drove you mad and pushed you deeper and deeper and deeper into addiction. There are no easy answers to all of this. It's difficult. It's uncomfortable. You have to work harder than you ever thought. You, you'll get to a point where you think, oh my God, I've finally gotten this. I finally figured it out. And then you'll still have to work harder. Moving out of this year, moving out of this decade into a new year and a new decade opens up a whole plethora of new opportunities. That's the beauty of life is that each day we have the opportunity to make choices that can lead us down a better path. What I hope that you decide to do is sit down, look at the limiting limitations and the limiting beliefs that you have believed about yourself for so long Figure out the root of where those come, where those came from. Go back in your timeline. Ask yourself, where, when was the first time I felt this? When was the first time I recognized this in my life? And start realizing 
where it is that this stuff happened. So you can go back and say, okay, well, this is what happened. And this was my decision. This was my action that came from what happened. How can I reimagine that? How can I re-internalize it and turn that into um, a, po- a positive? I get that if it's a horrible trauma that some people are like, how can I make rape into a positive? The action itself, I, it, it's not possible. That's a horrible thing. And if that's happened to you, I am so sorry and bless your soul. But it was the response that you took on after that. It was the actions that came from that experience, that's where you had control. That's what you can decide to make more positive. You can say, well, this is what I did and it and it didn't and it led me to addiction and I wish that it hadn't. But look at look how much stronger it made me now that I'm in sobriety and recovery. Look what I've been able to achieve now that I've released that anger towards myself, towards the towards the perpetrator, whatever it might be. This is where I start to get really heady and I almost and I almost get uncomfortable saying stuff like this because I don't know your situation and somebody's going to jump on social media and be like, F you, a-hole, you don't know, I, this happened and this happened and how do you ever expect me to see it positive, right? I mean, that's, you know, if that's the mentality you want to take on, then you're staying in victim mode and you'll never be able to break free from that. Someone way more experienced at this than me, the Tony Robbins, um, he's the only one I can think of right now. Some of the he'd be able to say he'd be able to do some NLP on you, and an hour later you'd be like, "I am human, hear me roar!" Right? I'm working on that. For now, all I can say is, is that we all choose our responses. I believe that reactions are emotionally triggered, and responses are mindfully thought out. So respond, don't react. Go back and look at your mental acuity. Look at, look at your mental states. Look at the mental blocks that you put in front of you. Because I'm telling you, just like Dean up at the gym, when, he, when, you, when you take on a new client, you're not just getting them to push themselves physically. You are literally getting them to break down mental barriers they've had in place for years that have told them they cannot achieve this goal. Somewhere in your life, you have told yourself you cannot achieve a goal. I want you to dive into your head. I want you to figure out where that is. What's that goal you've told yourself you can't achieve? Figure out where that limiting belief came from, and let's start to make a difference. Let's start to break those barriers down, because if you can achieve anything if you're willing to work hard enough at it. Anything. Thank you so much for listening to me. Uh, this got 50 minutes. It's super long. My, my last podcast for College Success Habits got really long too. I think I just get, I just get super charged. Super charged when I know we're, we're, we're literally in an era where we are having, a, an enti- we are having an enormous shift in our planet right now. And it's not just because we're finishing a year and also a decade, but there is a lot going on on our planet right now. There's a lot of nationalism. There's a there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, bipartisanship. There's a lot of uh, fear and loathing and hatred towards other people. And it's this whole idea that if if you have, that means I can't have. And that is not the world we live in. We live in a world where there is enough space and enough money and enough everything for all of us to succeed. Every single one of us can succeed. 
you are not in competition with anyone but that person in the mirror and the version of you this morning, and now it's nighttime, are you better than that version of you this morning? When you wake up tomorrow, do you have a plan to be better than the version of yourself you were today? That's what's important because there is no other competition besides that man in the mirror, that woman in the mirror. That person looking back at you is your competition because I guarantee you, you are holding yourself back more than society or anyone else on this planet ever will. You are holding yourself back more than any other being on this planet. Stop doing that. It's time to break free. It's time to release those chains that we have wrapped around ourselves that say that we cannot accomplish something because of blah, 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 blah. That is not true. It is not true. I love you all. The power of positive energy, release and flow as always. Inclusivity over exclusivity. Be kind to one another. Much love. Next week, come on back. We'll talk again. Bye-bye. 